don't pretend you don't know what I'm talking about. It's just costume jewelry, a bit gaudy, I know. The old woman was shaking visibly as she squawked, You're wearing the Louis XIV emerald pendant. The music stopped and all eyes were again on Grace. It's one of a kind in the world. I donated it to the museum in 1996. You had no right to even touch it. She thrust out her hand. Give it to me. I will not, Grace said, clutching her throat. You're mistaken, you addle-brained old witch. Alan, tell her. Alan took Emily's arm gently and with a wink said, Come on, don't they sell these knockoffs by the gross at Macy's? It's no joking matter, Emily appealed to Lucas. This woman is a thief. Lucas crouched down to Grace's eye level as if pleading with a petulant child to let go of a cherished plaything. I don't care how you got it, dear, he said softly, but please give it to her now. Grace hesitated and tears came as she felt horribly ashamed and belittled in front of everyone, most of all Alan. Emily's hateful gaze hadn't moved from Grace's neck. Alan stepped behind Grace, undid the clasp on the necklace and handed it over to Emily. I know there's an explanation for this, she said to Lucas. I'll expect a call from the director in the morning. And she stomped off. The, museum's, the music started up again, a different piece now, and the crowd slowly gravitated back to its social hubs. With Alan's help, Grace stood slowly and smoothed her dress. Take some time off, Grace, Lucas said. Take as long as you need. And Alan, for God's sake, get her to a doctor. Alan smiled at her, which must have been the wrong thing to do, because she bolted and ran off in the direction of the tram. Lucas and Alan exchanged a look, then ran after her. Grace had never felt so vulnerable, so betrayed. Running was a panicked reflex as a gazelle would sprint away from the wolf of a lion. Alan should have been her protector, but he made a joke of everything. And hadn't he handed her that awful food, given her the necklace, and yet denied knowing anything about it? And where was her loving Uncle Lucas in all this, worried about benefactors and appearances? The people mover had just unloaded, and a throng of partygoers was pushing past her, headed up the hill. As she shoved her way past them, she felt like a little girl who'd been abandoned in the supermarket. Her mother had let go of her hand and disappeared. She wanted to sit down and cry until some caring adult took charge and strong arms picked her up. But she felt she had to keep running. Somehow she'd make her way to the parking lot and flag a taxi or board a bus. She'd go to Maggie, anything to be away from this humiliation. As she gained the platform and neared the tram, its sliding doors closed and it departed down the hill. She tried to look behind her to see the crowd parting. She turned to look behind her, saw the crowd parting for Lucas and then Alan as they hurried toward her. She couldn't think of them as rescuers. What would they do? Hand her over to doctors to prod and poke? Lock her up somewhere? And she, she looked after the tram's descent. She realized she couldn't wait for it to come back. So she kicked off her heels and ran after it. She ran as far as the end of the platform, where a fence prevented her from following the tracks down the scruffy hillside. She made the four-foot jump down onto the tracks, but quickly decided if she followed them, she'd be trapped when the tram headed back up. So she scaled a low wall on the downward edge of the hill and let herself drop over to land on the brush on the other side. She was no hiker, let alone a climber, and yet the adrenaline pumping through her veins had taken over. She could see the parking lot below, and painful as the rough terrain was on her bare feet, she blindly scampered her way down. 
As she looked back again, Lucas and Alan appeared at the top of the hill, joined by two uniformed security guards. Then emergency arc lights blazed on above her. The sudden glare was so startling that she spun around and her gown became tangled in the undergrowth. She felt the fabric snag and tear as her downward momentum spun her the other way and she lost her footing. She felt herself falling, plunging head first, crouching instinctively, then tumbling and tumbling through the rocks and dirt and nettles. With angry thoughts, not of fear, but of stupid, stupid at the hopelessness of losing control, and she came to rest, lifeless looking, in a ditch at the bottom of the hill, still a hundred yards from the parking lot, the highway, her freedom, and her pride.